in the area known as Galatia. Hence, Galatians. That's where we get the title. But throughout this book, Paul's, uh, he's got an ax to grind with this church. You might even say that this letter is his angry letter to the churches of Galatia. And the reason he's angry is maybe not what you might think. A lot of times if you thought Paul was angry, you'd think, oh, there must be some egregious sin going on something, right? Which there is, but it's not maybe what you think. The thing that's going on is they've turned from God's grace and they've begun to uh, uh, adopt and embrace legalism. And Paul says, what are you doing adding to the gospel? What are you doing believing a false gospel as if there even was another gospel than the grace of Jesus Christ? How could you do this? And so the entire letter is him uh, attacking legalism and lifting up and exalting God's grace. And it's a good word for us because uh, often we find ourselves, I find myself, turning back to trying to somehow earn God's favor. When the opposite is totally true, his favor is freely given. And so I have this sweetness of freedom now where I can live a life free of guilt, free of fear, uh, with a freedom of conscience, knowing that I can uh, walk with the Lord and honor him and that I have nothing to lose in that, even when I fail. Amen? That's the grace of Jesus Christ, friends. So we're going to talk more about that this morning. But first, let's read the text Then we'll unpack it uh, like we normally do. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read all all 15 verses that will be in this morning, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Uh, And just so you know, going through this, circumcision is going to be an example of works of the law, of righteous works. So if you accept good works to find uh, your justification, is what he's saying, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me pray. There's a lot there this morning. We're going to work through it. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you uh, for your grace to us. Thank you for the identity you give us as we were singing about this morning, and um, as we, we read this morning, the freedom you give us, Jesus, to, to love you, to love others, uh, to walk with you without fear and without guilt. Um, Holy Spirit, would you use me today? Uh, 
speak through me and even uh, speak to me as I teach. Uh, let my words uh, be in accord with your word. And uh, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would take your word and twist it. He would accuse us. He would uh, heap uh, guilt and fear and, and every other burden upon us. But Jesus, you set us free. So I let that truth be so clear today and life-changing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first one, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus is our liberator, friends. He's the one who, and no, notice, it's not, uh, it's has set us free. It's past tense. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, he has set you free. You are free indeed. Well, uh, he set you free. We're going to talk in a moment here, free from what? So look at the rest of this verse, though, because verse 1 really sets up the whole passage this morning. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not, ag- not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul uses that phrase, stand firm, in a number of his letters. He tells uh, the Corinthians, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, he tells them. He tells the Philippians, um, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that I hear you are standing firm in one spirit. He tells, tells them again later uh, to stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He tells the Thessalonians, uh, for, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us. To stand firm, what is that? What image does that pour into your mind? Just unmovable. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to be shaken. Uh, my 12-year-old self would have said it's like the American gladiator standing on the pedestal and not getting knocked down, right? That's standing firm, no matter what's coming at you. Well, Paul says to stand firm in your freedom. To stand firm in your freedom. What, what is he talking about? Well, let's keep reading. He says, after stand firm, therefore, because of your freedom, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That word is often lost on us today, a yoke, because uh, the first thing I think of when I think of yoke, I think of an egg. How about you? That's, the, that's how I use that term. But, you know, also maybe if, if you're a farmer or depending on your background, you might, you might not think of that right away. You might think right away of the yoke that was put on an oxen to pull a cart or to pull a plow. And that's what Paul has in mind clearly here. And, and it was, he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, something that's going to weigh you down to where you can no longer even pull it. Why would you submit and go back to slavery of the law and of righteous works when you're free from that? He's talking to you like you're, a, you're an ox. He's saying, hey, man, you, you had to pull that thing for so long, and now you've been set free. Why, why are you going back to that cart? It's just as heavy as it ever was. And it's going to weigh you down. Why would you go back to that? Paul compares uh, uh, obeying the law and submitting to the law as coming under a yoke. In fact, um, uh, God described slavery as a yoke to the Egyptians. Did you know that? Or to the Egyptians, to the Israelites, as they left Egypt in the Old Testament. He said in Leviticus, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and I've made you walk upright. So Paul probably has this image in his mind of uh, the the law is like this yoke that's so heavy that when you pull it, you're just walking around like this all the time. 
And, and God says, I, I freed you from slavery in Egypt so that you were no longer under this yoke, but now you could stand upright and be free. Do you know the, the Exodus event is like the, the primary act of salvation in the Old Testament, and it all points forward to what Jesus did for us? I, I think there's, there's some good evidence here that Paul maybe even has the Exodus in mind as he writes this. Do you know the story of the Exodus? God's people were stuck in slavery in Egypt. And they were under uh, the heavy hand of an oppressor in Pharaoh. And so God raises up Moses, who uh, at 40 years old runs off into the desert because he killed a guy. And uh, then at 80, sees the burning bush and he comes back and uh, he rescues God's people. God used him even in spite of his sin, which is pretty cool. And Moses comes back and, you know, you've seen the movie with Charlton Heston, right? And he, he tells them, let my people go. And there's all the plagues and they get out and they're, they're running to uh, the Red Sea. And as they're going, Pharaoh finally lets them go. But they're, they're, they're fleeing from Egypt and uh, Moses is leading God's people out of slavery and they, they come to a dead end. In Exodus 14, it says, when Pharaoh drew near, see, they were, they were trapped in on different sides by the, by the Red Sea, by mountains, they had the desert, they had nowhere to go. And Pharaoh's army was coming in behind them. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Pharaoh changed his mind after letting them go and he chased after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel, they, they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? This is funny to me because I, my guess is that when they originally were set free and they take off running, it's like, yeah, right? And the Egyptians are actually giving them all their gold. They're saying, get out of here, go, go, go. I mean, it's a huge celebration likely for the Israelites. And now, uh, maybe days later, they're like, well, did you just bring us out here to die? Were there not enough places to bury us in Egypt? Like, What's the deal, Moses? What a thankless job he had. He said, uh, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They said, why did you even come set us free, Moses? It was, it was easier just to remain in slavery. I want to go back to being a slave. That was the life. And Moses gave him the look that LeBron gave to JR this week. What? What are you talking about? If you're not a basketball fan, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you aren't, then Google it. You'll figure it out. <laughs> but he's like, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you go back to slavery? You're free, man. What are you talking about? And look what Moses says to them then. Now, now, now get the scene. They're being chased away by Pharaoh. They're hemmed in on all sides. They have nowhere to go. And Moses says to the people, fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. That sound familiar to what Paul just said? He said, uh, you're free, so stand firm in it. Don't go back to slavery. Stand firm in your freedom. And see the salvation of the Lord, Moses said, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Keep that in mind as we keep reading because Paul's going to come to a point in this passage where he's going to talk about waiting for the hope of righteousness. Not working for it, waiting for it, being silent. 
And as you know, the rest of the story, what happens is uh, Jesus in the pillar of fire had been leading God's people out with Moses. And the pillar of fire goes around to the back of the camp instead of the front. And he blocks off Pharaoh's army. And then uh, he tells Moses, hey, raise your hands, part the sea. They walk through on dry ground. And after they get across uh, in the watch of the night, it says that the angel of the Lord, who I believe was Jesus, comes. He sees, he slows down Pharaoh's army. And he tells Moses, uh, close the water over him. Raise your hands again. And The water closes over the Egyptians and they all die and the Israelites are free. All they had to do at that time was simply to wait for God to finish his work. Moses says, you have nothing else to do but be silent and stand firm. Friends, that's a picture of salvation. That when Paul says you are free in Christ, stand firm there in it. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, If you've been saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have been set free, past tense. And the hope of righteousness is something you're waiting for, not working for. You didn't work for your salvation. You don't need to work for your glorification. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't do good deeds. It's not to say you shouldn't live a righteous life. It's just saying that apart from the work of Jesus Christ, there is nothing for you to add to it. And that's freedom. See, the thing... uh, we're talking about freedom in this series. Jesus said, he used that same image of a yoke. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why is Jesus' burden light? Well, because he took your whole burden and he gives you his righteousness. There's nothing left for you to bear before God in terms of your, sanct- your sanctification, your justification, your glorification. It's all on Jesus. So take on his burden and follow him. Become a follower of his. That's God's grace. See, you are free, Paul says. You've been set free. Well, free from what? What am I free from? A couple things. Number one, uh, and these are gonna, you're gonna see these play out through the rest of this passage. Number one, you've been set free from guilt. There is no, no guilt, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, Paul writes to the Romans. Now, do you, do you feel guilty and convicted because of sin? I hope you do, in the sense that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. But in terms of your standing before God, there is no guilt. Why? Because that penalty has been totally paid for you, past, present, future, by Jesus Christ. So you're free from being burdened with guilt. You're like, oh, you, don't, you don't know what I did like five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You, you, don't, you don't know my past, Josh. I just I feel so guilty. Well, you, know, you need to let that go. That's been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, and you are clean and free. Do you get that? That's the gospel. You're free from that. Now, you, you, you may need to talk about it with somebody and, and understand that truth more and more. But I'm just telling you, in Jesus' name, if you've trusted him, you are free from that guilt before God Almighty. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty and taken the wrath for that on the cross. Isn't that good news? So you're free from guilt. The second thing, and these kind of go hand in hand, you're set free from fear. You're set free from fear. Because I don't know about you, but when you're carrying a lot of guilt around and you're thinking, oh, I don't know, how could God love me because of this or because of that? Or, and you just, you sit there and you're afraid. And instead of, of a fear that respects God and loves him as your good dad, 
You fear him as somebody who's going to take out his wrath on you because he's angry with you. Listen, when, when John tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, you know what that means? It means that Jesus satisfied all of the wrath of God for your sin and for my sin on the cross. He took the punch of God's wrath for you and for me. And there is nothing left to pay. Yet sometimes we want to burden ourselves. That's hard for us to accept because it's so radical. And we want to burden ourselves with some rules or certain things to try to be right with God. And you're going to see here in a second, Paul says, listen, when you add anything to the cross, you sever yourself from Christ. And you've fallen away from his grace and you've gone over to the law. It's all his grace. You're set free from guilt and you're set free from fear. And so you have a choice to make. These are the same two fill-ins from last Sunday. That choosing Jesus, I want you to think about this as we work through the passage. If you choose Jesus Christ, you're choosing freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, freedom from condemnation for your sin. Freedom to live a life that, that loves the Lord and honors him and loves other people. And you won't have the freedom to do that until you choose Jesus, I'm telling you. But if you choose slavery, or, relig- or if you, I filled in the blank for you already. If you choose religion or idolatry, which is, you're, you're choosing slavery. You, you become a slave to trying to do enough good things to, to somehow either uh, please God or just simply ease your own conscience. And guess what? It is never enough. It's never enough. It's slavery. That's the terms Paul uses here. Now, uh, look at verse 1 again with me, and then we're going to work through the rest of the the passage. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, sometimes you might read that and you think, Oh, for freedom Christ has set me free. That means after I trust Jesus, I can do whatever I want. And some people read it that way and they think that that's true. And I think the reason that we have churches that tend, and, and us as individuals sometimes why we tend towards legalism is because we hear that Christ has set us free and we go, oh, that's dangerous. People are going to think they can just go sin and do whatever they want. And so uh, to try to counteract that radical truth, we start heaping on other things to, to just guard against us going too far, Right? But Paul's whole argument here is, listen, if, if, if you're really free in Jesus Christ, it doesn't lead to you running off and just doing whatever you want. It leads to you uh, running closer and closer to Jesus Christ and becoming more and more like him. Because there's no more guilt. There's no more fear. You are loved, as we like to say every week, right? So with that in mind, let's work through the rest of this passage now. Paul says after that in verse 2, after telling him not to submit again to a yoke of slavery, giving him the LeBron look, like why would you do that? He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Uh, see, what's happening in, in the Galatian churches is there's uh, people who have come in and they are preaching that in order to be right with God, in order to be saved, it's not just faith in Jesus, but it's faith in Jesus plus obeying all of the Jewish law, including getting circumcised. In, in Acts uh, 15.1, some men came down from Judea. They were teaching the brothers that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, that you cannot be saved. 
And Paul's saying, listen, no, that, that's garbage. That's rubbish. That's hogwash. You, you, to say that you, you can add to that is not, one, it's not possible. Two, it's not true. If you accept that, then Christ is of no advantage to you. Why would you even trust him if you think you still have something left to do? He's of no advantage to you. So when, when you read this and you read, uh, if you accept circumcision, maybe you would insert instead for yourself, if you accept your own righteous good works, if you would accept your own uh, fill in the blank, all these things that you need to do that you've imposed on yourself or that someone else has maybe imposed on you. If you accept that as the way to be right with God, then listen, friends, Christ is of no advantage to you. Because then his work on the cross was in vain. Now, Paul's not saying here that, that circumcision, or in our case, good works, are, are wrong. In fact, do you realize, uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, when Paul came to this area of Galatia with a young guy named Timothy, who was a Greek uh, and not circumcised, he actually had Timothy be circumcised so that he could relate better to some of the Jewish people who were there. Paul's just saying, don't rely on that for your salvation. Become all things to all men, but, but don't sin and, and don't impose anything other than the cross of Jesus onto someone. Now, if you want to follow those things and there's good things you should do, that absolutely, but don't say that that's how you're saved. Because it's not. You're saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross, by his grace through faith in that. He says, if, if you accept anything in addition, Christ is of no advantage to you. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. <laughs> Let me say that again. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's of no advantage to you. I think there's a book by that title out there somewhere. Verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts, who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. See, not only does the law ruin grace, but it obligates people. It makes you a debtor. Paul says, listen, if you're going to abandon God's grace or try to add to it, uh, you know what? You have to keep all of it. You have to keep all of it. It's, it's all or nothing. It's either you accept what Jesus did for you or you do it yourself. And guess what? You're never going to be able to do it yourself. You're always going to fail. It's not, you can't have a foot in both camps. It's one or the other. He, he says you're obligated to keep the whole law. James talks about it in James uh, chapter 2, verse 10. If you break even part of it, you've broken the whole thing. Paul said earlier, if you rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse in chapter 3. It's written, cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and keep them, quoting from Leviticus. It, it's never enough. It's never enough. Don't burden yourself with something other than, than faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you, you need to repent of that and, and have freedom in that and know that you are as loved today as you were when you trusted Christ, as you will be when you're fully glorified with him for eternity in heaven. And nothing you've done, nothing you can do, nothing that's been done to you will ever change that. God is not like us where his emotions go up and down like a toilet seat and his affections for people are all over the map, right? No, 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 his, his love for you is steadfast. And unchanging. He's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so don't add to those things. It's never enough. You're obligated to keep the whole law if you do. 
It's either all on you or it's all on Jesus. It's your choice. Look at verse four. In fact, Paul goes on with his argument. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. To be justified by the law then is to be alienated from Jesus Christ. To, to be justified means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. I just realized I had a graphic in there and on the screen, if you're able to go back to that, Rocky, I should have done this earlier and, I, and my mind got rolling and I got ahead of myself. But to be justified means to be declared righteous. And I've, I've shown you this before. Here's Jesus and uh, his work. Uh, here's you, I think, pops up next. Maybe not. Yeah, there we go. Now, and then there's the Father who, who expects of you holiness. And Jesus, because of his work on the cross, do you know what he does? His work, he does this. He satisfies God's wrath. It's called the atonement in Scripture. See, see God is perfectly just. He's perfectly holy. And you and I are incredibly sinful, more wickedly sinful than we could ever dream. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And yet, he dies on the cross paying the penalty for sin that he never committed. And so he satisfies God's wrath. He's a substitute for you and for me. And in that substitute, I give him, uh, it's like I credit to him all of my junk and my sin, and he gives to me all of his perfection and righteousness. And he dies with all of my sin on his shoulder. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. And Jesus satisfies God's wrath. And now because of that, God the Father looks at you and he looks at me if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say, if you do these things, now you're righteous. No, no, no. He declares you righteous. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. That's what it means to be justified, to be declared righteous, to be declared clean and right. See, the Holy Spirit works on you. He works on me to where we believe in Jesus and then uh, his, uh, our justification is given to us by the Father declaring us righteous. And in doing that, then Jesus sets us free. He sets us free from guilt, free from fear, free from condemnation, free from wrath so that we can live a life that honors him and loves others. So Paul says that you're severed then from Christ if you're justified by the law. Well, why? Because Jesus is the only one who can pay the full penalty for you to be justified. So if you're trying to be justified by something else, you can't be justified by Christ. You're severed from him. And the question here then is, what's the basis of your justification? See, to be, to be, for it to be Jesus, you have to be united with him. There's this unification that happens. The Spirit unites you with Christ. Like, what is this? What do you mean, Josh? Well, Paul talks about it as being in Christ. Again, what do you mean? Well, think of it this way. You ever, you ever been on an airplane? You ever flown? Who's flown somewhere? Okay, after getting on the plane, putting your full faith and trust in that plane, and the plane taking off, even before the plane taking off, after you sit down, how much effort did you put in to you getting to your destination? Zero, right? You were in the plane, and let's just take out the fact that you could possibly be the pilot so that we can't say you, say you didn't do any work. Let's just say it's a, big, it's a big drone 747. They're probably coming someday, so we'll just say it now. And there's, you did nothing. You got on the plane, you're in the plane, and it carried you to your destination and you arrived safely. 
All you did, you got on the plane, you put your faith in the plane, you sat down fully in it, and you held on. Right? You did nothing. Okay, now you have that choice to fly to some destination, or I can strap some wings on you, push you off a building, say, we'll see you in Texas. Now, for you to get there, how much work will you have to do? And the only way to get there is to fly. Who's going to have to do the work? How much of the work are you going to have to do? All of it. See, you got the choice to be unified with Christ. To be in Christ is like getting on the plane and sitting down. And you're in Christ. And you do nothing other than put your faith in it. But Paul's saying like to, to, to put your faith in to be justified by the law, by your good works, it's like foolishly strapping on some wings, jumping off the Sears Tower and thinking you can fly to Texas. It ain't gonna happen. You'll be lucky if you make it to LaSalle Street. Like that's, I mean, that's all the farther you're going. It's all or Nothing. Paul says, you're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And then look what he says here. This is, a, this is a phrase that has caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people. He says, you have fallen away from grace. Is Paul saying that you could lose your salvation? I've, I've heard this passage used by somebody saying, well, see, you could fall away from grace. You could, you could trust him, but then um, you, you, could, you could fall away. You might not make it. Paul says it here. You've fallen away from grace. So let's consider the full argument here of Paul, okay? His whole argument in Galatians is that you can do how much to earn your salvation or to uh, work your sanctification to your glorification? How much can you do? Zero. Nothing, right? So if if you ever struggled with this, have you ever felt like um, you felt guilt or you felt fear like, man, have I... Am I really saved? Did I lose it? You ever, have, you ever feel that fear? I think that's common if you have. But usually, why do you have that fear? It's usually because of something you've done or something you haven't done. Would you agree? It's, it's usually because of uh, an excess of bad works or a lack of good works. And, and Paul says that... Uh, and in fact, the majority of the time, those who would argue that you could lose your salvation, not everybody, but most of them would argue it based on you could lose it because of your works, either your bad works or your good works or your lack of good works. You, you know, if you, it goes like this. If you keep persisting in that, uh, you might fall from grace and lose your salvation. Or if you don't get it together and start growing in this area, um, then, then God's grace is of no use and no good to you. You've lost it. Well, consider the implications of that argument. It's implying that if you had only done enough good works, you would have kept your salvation. Or if you'd only done not so many bad works, you would have kept it. And and that if you do too many bad things, you lose it. If you don't do enough good things, you lose it. The argument in this case is based on the idea that somehow you could earn God's favor by your good works or your lack of bad works, and that your salvation then and your endurance of that salvation is based on you. When what did you do to earn it to begin with? Nothing. So you know what? What can you do to lose it? If you really have it, nothing. 
It's not based on your good works, either in the beginning, the middle, or the end. It's all based on Jesus and your faith in him. See, if in fact, the only argument that I think bears water, if in fact Paul's arguing that you could lose your salvation, I think then it's based on here, in this case, I think it's based not on you doing too many bad works or not enough good works, but too many good works in the sense that you're relying on them instead of Jesus for your salvation. Did I lose you yet? You with me? Paul said earlier that you're kept by his grace. Listen, it, I believe the Bible is very clear. If you've truly trusted Jesus Christ, you have been set free. You've been set free from fear of God's wrath. You've been set free from guilt because Jesus has taken all of your guilt. You've been set free from condemnation because Jesus was the propitiation for your sin. You're free. And, and when so Paul says that you've fallen away from grace, what he's saying is, uh, why are you turning away from grace and going back to that yoke of slavery? You're severing yourself from Christ. Like he, he said earlier, is this all in vain? Did, did you really trust him to begin with? You know, the Bible also, Jesus talks about... Um, one question this brings up is, well, what about, uh, you know, Jesus says there's like this un unpardonable sin, unpardonable sin. That if you commit this one sin that you're sunk, I wonder if I've committed that sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know this passage? Um, by the way, guys, I'm, I'm teaching you these things because I want you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, to be sure and to have that freedom and to know the truth of what God's word says. Here's what Jesus said. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. That lines up exactly with what Paul says, right? It's, it's one or the other. It's either all Christ or it's all you. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. That's a big question. So uh, what is blasphemy then against the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is? It's saying and believing the opposite of what the Spirit would say, specifically about Jesus Christ. See, the, the work of the Spirit, Jesus told us that uh, the, the Spirit is sent to be our helper. And he will never say anything that, uh, that contradicts uh, Jesus. His, his role is to seal us, to, to reveal our sins so that we would trust Jesus, to reveal the truth of God's word to us. Um, it, our statement of faith says it like this. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The role of the Spirit, friends, is to point you to Jesus. So if you speak against him drawing you and you're like, oh, I feel this tug like I should trust Jesus, oh, but I don't know. You, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And if you go, no. I'm not doing that. And you persist in that to the end, to your death. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And you cannot be forgiven of that because you've rejected the work of Jesus Christ for you. But if at any time, even to your dying breath, you would turn, you'll be forgiven. Any word spoken against the Son would be forgiven. Have you turned to him? Where, where are you at in this? See, Jesus says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. 
I wonder, where are you? You can't have it both ways. It's either all Jesus or it's all you. It's not both and. Have you put your full trust and faith in Jesus Christ? How awful would it be if you went through your whole life, you served in the church, you, you studied God's word, you sang songs, you gave, and you get to the end and you've been trying to do it on your own because you've never truly repented and simply trusted Jesus. You're like, you're like a broken record today, Josh. I know, because it's like the most important thing ever. Your eternity is at stake on this. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. He's your only hope, friends. See, look, Paul even picks up the argument then in verse five about the work of the Spirit. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, the hope of righteousness is this hope, this looking forward to the day when uh, Jesus' righteousness will become ours. See, on the cross, our sin became his. And it was granted to us his, his righteousness as a standing. But there's coming a day where if you've trusted Jesus, like you're going to be fully glorified and you're going to be fully righteous like he is. And we're, we're waiting for that day. We're waiting for that hope. Hope is kind of a frustrating word. Because in the Greek, the word hope means total assurance. Total assurance. But in English, it kind of means I hope so. I'm not so sure. And so when we read it, we're like, eh, I don't know, the hope of righteousness, I hope so. I'm not so sure if that's coming. Here's something that might be helpful to you. As you read through the Bible and the New Testament and you see the word hope pop up, reread that phrase sometimes with uh, assurance or uh, certainty. You know, eagerly we wait for the certainty of righteousness, for the assurance of righteousness. And notice, how do you get it? Does Paul say, uh, we work eagerly for the hope of righteousness? What's he say that you do? You wait. You wait. You're looking at me like all the people probably looked at Moses. Like, what are you talking about? Just stand here, stand firm and wait and be quiet and wait for the Lord. Wait for the hope of righteousness. It's not work for it. It's wait for it. There's, do you sense any freedom in that? There's freedom not to beat myself up for my sin. Jesus took the beating for me. Now, do I want to grow and quit sinning? Absolutely. Paul's going to make that argument here in a second. He's going to say this doesn't free you to just do whatever you please. It frees you to love God with your whole heart, with no fear and no guilt. See, for in Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Your good works don't count. Your lack of good works don't count. Only Jesus and faith in him counts. You were running well. So evidently they believed this at first, but then somebody uh, hindered them. Who hindered you from obeying the truth, Paul writes? Paul loved to use athletic metaphors. You'll see that in your 110 homework this week, looking at some of those. He says, you were running so well. Uh, who tripped you up with this nonsense? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This burden of feeling like you have to get it right, that's not from the Lord. Now, he calls you to obey him, right? But out of love, not out of guilt, not out of fear. We love him because he first loved us. See, uh, Paul goes on, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
just a little bit, adding a little bit, <laughs> ruins it all. You ever make bread? How much, how much yeast do you need to get the whole thing full of yeast? Just a little bit. If, if you turn from his grace, I mean, you're going to live just a, a life of, of fear and of guilt and of condemnation when Jesus offers you freedom. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The Bible talks a lot about there being a penalty for those who add to the requirements of God's word. Jesus talked to the Pharisees. He said, it'd be better for you that a millstone, which is like this huge stone, be tied around your neck than you cause any of these little ones to sin. If you've put burdens on others, maybe you need to release those and repent. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, see, I think they were saying that Paul was doing this, preaching the same thing. He says, well, then why am I still being persecuted? In the case of the offense of the cross has been removed. See, to preach law is to preach somehow that people can save themselves. Paul's like, I wasn't doing that. If I was, why are people still persecuting me? Here's the thing you're going to find. When, when you truly embrace God's grace and when you teach and champion it, a lot of times what happens is uh, those who are unsure of that or maybe have committed themselves to obedience by the law or by some other works-based righteousness come with their claws out. I've, I've been accused of this. Been told that uh, you, you preach grace too much. Literally, I was told that uh, a couple years ago. You're preaching God's grace too much. People just think they can do whatever they want. That they just have to believe. That seems to be what Jesus said multiple times. You know, if, if you believe, you will be saved. If uh, this was happening to Paul. It seems so easy. We burden, we even, you'll do that. You'll, you'll hear even the enemy, I think, speak to you. They'll say, no, it's not, it's not easy. I got to do, 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 do. No, you don't. There's freedom. Those good works come out of a love for Jesus Christ, not to earn his love. Verse 12, he says, um, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's like, if they're going for it, I wish they would go all in and just put an end to all of it. Because that's really the truth of the matter. If, if you've got one foot over in here thinking you can earn it somehow, really, you're fully in over here. You're not trusting Jesus Christ. Let me read these last three verses and we'll sing and close and call it a morning. He says, for you, we're called to freedom, brothers. See, but look, in case maybe... Uh, you would criticize me saying I'm only preaching grace and not a, a life of discipleship. Look what Paul says. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, when, when you have this freedom, it frees you to truly love God and to truly love others and to truly obey. And I'm telling you, when you know this freedom, when you really truly know it, you don't desire to go back to those things. You desire to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Those of you who know that to be true, amen? That's the truth. It doesn't free you to do whatever you want. It actually draws you closer to Jesus, as freedom does, because there's no fear and no guilt. For the whole law, he says, is fulfilled in one word. You want to keep the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. 
A good way to know uh, is my faith fully in Jesus and my knowing and loving and experiences his freedom. What are the words that come out of my mouth? Are they, are they loving towards other people? Or do I find myself constantly biting and devouring other people? Your Facebook profile might reveal a lot about you and about me. Are you building people up or tearing them down? When you have freedom in Christ, something happens to where your heart is drawn towards him and towards others. And you're free to love him, free from guilt, free from fear. Amen? Let me pray. We're going to sing, and we'll call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him, and thanks for your goodness to us through him. Jesus, I pray for those who've maybe never trusted you. Uh, Lord, they've either uh, lived a life of uh, being irreligious and just not knowing and not caring, or they've lived a life of, of religiosity where they've, they've tried so hard to please you and are realizing it's never enough. Um, Jesus, would you free them in either case, whatever it is, from that? Would you help them uh, to repent of their sins, Jesus, and turn to you in faith? Uh, uh, if that's you, listen, the Bible says that whoever would believe in his heart and confess with his mouth will be saved. Whoever would believe will be saved. It's multiple times in God's word. If you'd simply believe that truth, that Jesus died in your place on the cross for your sin and gives you his righteousness, put your faith in that. Get on the plane and trust him. For those of us, Jesus, who know that truth, help us to, to live it and not live lives of fear or guilt, but of freedom. Remind us who we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.